We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Episode of Setting the Pace here on Fox Friday. I am joined by a special guest. We have Corey Waldron here from Off the Glass. Corey, how are you today? I'm doing good, Mike. Uh, thank you for having me hop on the pod. Uh, pleasure to talk Indiana Pacer basketball with you once again. Of course, of course. Reoccurring guest, that is. Um, so, Corey, it's been a little over a week since we've seen some Pacer basketball. Obviously, the Pacers... Uh, Got a much-needed victory over the Bucks the last time we saw them on the court. But, Corey, how do you think this team um, used their time off the past week? Um, I mean, hopefully just to get healthy um, mm-hmm. and to kind of get back into form. Obviously, Victor Oladipo, as we know, is off of the minute restriction, so he'll be back to full speed. Still no back-to-backs the rest of the season. Um, but, you know, it didn't look like he had the best leg underneath him. He's still working into shape. And I know he wasn't ever on the injury report, but like Malcolm Brogdon to me was another guy who just didn't look great going into the All-Star break. He just kind of looked like he needed a rest. Uh, just giving these guys a little bit of a rest because, as we know, that losing streak uh, had some really tough losses in it, especially late-game losses. And as you said, you know that Bucks win was almost an unexpected win. Um, obviously, it helped Antetokounmpo not playing, but um, the Pacers just really needed a break to rest because that last you know two weeks was um, was a lot emotionally, I'm sure. It really was, and, and when you mentioned, you know, Brogdon, Brogdon had like five various injuries, so I, I feel like his whole body was just hurting. Oladipo, 
as you touched on, not really having his legs underneath him. I, I think that's very accurate. I feel like this was a great sample size to let him kind of go back to the figurative lab to know what to work on after this. But I feel like it's similar to when Paul George came back and he played those six games back in like 2015 where he got to see what he had to fix. And I think that those six games, while Paul, Paul George did not look himself, I thought it was valuable. So having Oladipo on the court and seeing him struggle a bit, I think let him know, hey, you know, maybe I need to maybe take a few less shots. Maybe I need to let the play develop a little bit more. I mean, we saw him in that Milwaukee game. I believe he only had eight shots, and I, I think it worked better for the team. So do you think we're going to see Oladipo kind of come out firing like he did in the first few games, or do you think he's going to kind of ease into a role and let the team act I basically have him acclimate to the team instead of the team acclimate to him. I, I feel I definitely feel like we're going to see more of that. Um, you know, again, like those early games, you know, with the the type of shots Oladipo was taking, you know, he had the green light, and then for him, I think it was just trying to find some sort of rhythm. Um, and obviously, it takes away from the offense when Victor is struggling like that. But again, you know, I think about that three um, that he hit late, you know, against the Bulls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we've seen the ability to hit those big shots even still coming back. Um, but no, I, I'm with you. I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think Victor Oladipo wants his team to be around, to be built around him in the first place, especially not this point. They're going to try and work this as a team. They're going to try and get everybody in the sink. Cause again, you know, we didn't make any big deadline move, but getting Victor Oladipo back is still a big deadline move. Um, you know, we were obviously, uh, you know, 30 and 17 right before he got back or 30 and uh, 30 and 16, whatever it was. Um, and it's just going to take time to get, you know, him in the sink. But I definitely think he's going to take a more of a backseat um, coming out of the All-Star break. I think so. And uh, with the, the schedule approaching, there's actually over the next 10 days, just one winning team that the Pacers are going to face. They have the Knicks. Uh, then there's Toronto, Charlotte, Portland. Cleveland and the Spurs. Now, ironically, the Pacers lost to the Knicks, obviously Toronto, Charlotte, Portland, and Cleveland this year. So there's still no games that you could just overlook, but I feel like the schedule is allowing them to be able to get healthy at the right time, be able to take care of some business, and first up is the New York Knicks. Now, Corey, how are you feeling about this game against the Knicks now that they no longer have Marcus Morris, who led the way last time with 28 points. Yeah, obviously that 92 to 85 loss. Uh, I remember it being a Saturday too, because I was I got mm-hmm. home from work and I was looking forward to watching the Pacers kick ass. And it wasn't really that game. Um, you know, the Pacers struggled obviously. Uh, you know, 92, 85 in today's NBA is uh, very rare to say the least. Uh, we actually the the thing about that, just looking at that matchup. Now you mentioned there's no Marcus Morris. Uh, we still have to win the rebounding battle. Last time we played the Knicks, we lost the rebounding battle 57-34, to and they had 14 offensive rebounds. Now, obviously, that's been an issue for the Pacers. Majority of this season is has been on the glass. Um, so against the Knicks, it's really just making sure you're winning the rebounding battle. That's a game that we should win. Like, I, if we lose that game to start off the second half after the All-Star break, um, I'm not obviously overly concerned, but it's not a great look. This is a game you should, all intents and purposes, win. It, honestly, you have to win this game. Sure, we're not going to call this like the must-win of must-wins. It's not like there's a playoff right. spot on the line. But if you see the Pacers come out of the All-Star break, having been off for a week, and they come out flat to a bottom-feeding Knicks team who just traded their best player, then there's going to be reason for concern. Because 
I hoped that that Milwaukee win was exactly what you needed to kind of calm the nerves. The narrative right now isn't, hey, we're riding a seven-game losing streak. The narrative right now is we're getting back healthy. We're coming off of a big win. Yes, we know there was no Giannis. We touched on it earlier. But I think this is an opportunity for the Pacers to take care of business against the Knicks and pick up a road win. I mean, I I think that this is something where, you know, you're talking about last time. The Pacers got crushed on the boards. And I don't know if rebounding is something you could just, it's really not something you could just fix overnight. No, nope. But I, I think it's going to take a collective team effort. Everybody trying to do their part. Maybe it's one more rebound per person. But, you know, in that game, just one little just stat I was digging up was Brogdon and Oladipo were brutal from the field. They combined to go 6 of 27. I find it highly unli- unlikely that that's going to happen again. So I'm looking for those two to kind of lead the way a little bit. And let's not forget that that was the game where TJ Warren picked up a concussion in. Right. So I do think that the Pacers are going to be able to kind of get right in this game. And the Knicks is, is a perfect uh, early test for them. I mean, like you mentioned, losing TJ Warren is also a big part of that. I, th- I think I looked up the other day. They're like 20 and 8 in games in which TJ Warren has over 20 points per game. Uh, he's a huge part of this offense. So, obviously, him being healthy for this matchup will help. And as you mentioned, you know, Victor Oladipo probably going 6 for 27. Um, that's an outlier. There aren't going to be many times I expect them to both be that off shooting. Yeah. Especially against a Knicks team that doesn't have any great defenders by any means, especially with Marcus Morris at that time. I know Mar Harkless is a good defender, but there aren't necessarily guys on this Knicks team who should cause that much dis- uh, disruption. Yeah, and for right now, I read a report that uh, there's it's still up in the air if Mo Harkless is going to be bought out or not. So it's going to be interesting to see if he plays for the Knicks, if he's making his debut. So who knows over there? Obviously, we would love if he didn't play. It, it just gives us a little bit of an advantage. It's not like he is some all-star type player, but hey, take any advantage that you can get in this situation. So I would love to be able to uh, seize this opportunity and get back on track. We're going to take a quick break right now, but when we come back, I want to kind of lay the landscape for how the Pacers can get back into the potential for home court advantage. So we'll be right back. All right, Corey, we are back. And I thought we'd talk about just uh, kind of playing a little bit of um, just kind of assuming that if you compare the Pacers' record right now, um, they sit at 32-23. and 23. They have 27 games remaining. Did the math. If they go 18-9, and nine, it can get them to 50 wins. Now, there's something about finishing with 48 wins for the third straight year that really just, it irks me. It gets me, Corey, I can't do it again. Something about 50, it just sounds like a great, just wholesome number right there of like signifying a successful year. Now, Corey, I was doing the math and I don't think that 50 wins is going to be enough to get home court advantage when you have Miami sitting in the four spot and then you have the Sixers at the fifth spot. What do you think it's going to take in order to get home court? What record do the Pacers need to achieve? Uh, I mean, the, the one benefit to the Pacers this second half, I mean, it, I mean, it's not an easy schedule, but they do have some nice games. Obviously, the stretch you mentioned before leading up, you know, playing the Knicks, Hornets, Blazers, and Cavaliers and Spurs coming up, like, 
if we go five and one over that span, I'll be extremely happy. Me too. Um, uh, you know, then obviously we go back on the road. We have you know some so-so teams. Um, you know, it, it's we we do play Miami twice. Mm-hmm. That's to be noted. Um, obviously we know now. Right, and we know the last time we matched up, we had the T.J. Warren, the Jimmy Butler, um, you know, few, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, tiffs going back and forth. Um, those two matches will be important to watch, and you know, th- those two matches in particular could be, you know, crucial to the seeding going forward. Um, I-, I can, I don't see fifty. Uh, I-, I see like I could see forty-nine. I can see us mm-hmm. beating forty-eight. Um, but I'm kind of with you too. I don't know if fifty for sure gets you a top four seed. Uh, and again, it, it kind of determine. It depends on what Philly and what Miami look like with their uh, deadline additions. So yeah, that is the thing. And honestly, I loved what both teams did. Uh, Philly bringing in Glenn Robinson the third and uh, Alec Burks for just a couple second round picks. I thought gave them some shooters. Obviously, Miami added in. Uh, Jay Crowder, as well as Andre Iguodala. So they're loading up on the defensive side of things. A couple 3 and D guys. So I was just crunching some numbers. If Miami goes 15-12, and 12, it'll get them to 50 wins. Uh, but I'm thinking Miami goes better than 15-12. and 12. I mean, I think that they kind of overperformed a bit. I mean, they, they definitely surpassed my expectations. But I don't see them going 15-12. and 12. And the Sixers... If they go 16 and 11, it'll get them to 50 wins. I also see them playing better than 16 and 11. But this Philly team, just Philly and Miami at home are it's night and day. So, Miami at home 22 and 3 compared to 13 and 16 on the road, and Philly 25 and 2 compared to 9 and 19 on the road. The Pacers come in there with a with a 13 and 13 record on the road, so you could see, Corey, this is vital that the Pacers can yeah. get home court in the first round because if you're going to play Miami four games in Miami or Philly four games in Philly, how could you really expect to even take two of them, let alone more Not than that? that. Especially against Philly. Um, Philly's a team that I just don't like the matchups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think Joel Embiid, Al Horford, that's a series where Al Horford, despite the news today that he's going to be coming off the bench, I don't see uh, Horford coming off the bench in a series against the Pacers. They're going to want both Al uh, Horford and Embiid out there against Turner and Sabonis. Um, and that's just a matchup. You know, we talk about the rebounding issues for, for the Pacers. That's a rebounding nightmare going up against the 76ers on most occasions. Um I'd much rather play Miami, but like you said, Miami's kind of loading up on the defensive side now. I just was staring at our schedule. Getting 18 wins here and getting 50 wins, I mean, that definitely is a possible. There's 18 wins to be had. Mm-hmm. Um, it's winning the game just supposed to win. You know, we got a game against the Kings, you know, another game against the Bulls, for example. Um, you know, those are games you got to win to get 50. Uh, you know, it, it just depends on what – does Miami have enough shooting, right? I guess that's the question. Between Maybe. Miami, Philly, and us, who has been a pretty bad three-point shooting team going into yes. the break, which one of us gets hot kind of going down the stretch I think might determine that. So th- that is the thing. And one of them that, one of the questions that I wanted to know is basically revolving around the rotation is when you're talking about three-point shooting, Doug McDermott, someone who was left out in the cold when it came to the three-point contest, I think it was from a pure volume perspective. Are we going to allow McDermott to step his volume up when we need more threes while we could be sacrificed on the defensive side of things? Like, What do you do when McDermott's definitely our best three-point shooter, 
but he's only shooting it 4.4 times per game from three. I don't really think there's much else you can do about McDermott um, unless you're willing to sacrifice defense. And I, I don't think McMillan at this point in time is willing to play McDermott much more than those 20 minutes. Um, you know, he gets those attempts. He gets little bursts. We're using a lot of screens and picks to get him free. Um, but again, as you mentioned, he suffers on the defensive. And I, I don't think you can do much more about McDermott. But that raises the question of, is that a reason to give Aaron Holiday more minutes, possibly? You know, a guy who shoots 41% from three. Um, but again, again, we have a logjam at the guard position that it's hard to even find minutes for Aaron Holiday. It really is, and that brings up something that that I was about to touch on because I I love Aaron Holiday. I honestly think that there's a ton of teams that he could have a bigger role on, and it kind of saddens me a bit that when Vic came back, I mean, we saw Aaron Holiday as the guy who had a sacrifice, and that's pretty much just not even show up overall, like log any minutes. We didn't see Aaron Holiday log a single minute in the last two games against Brooklyn and Milwaukee. He briefly played against the Pelicans when Vic sat out. And over his last four appearances, just 7 of 26 from the field. So being a young player with such a short leash, and now that Vic's back, I mean, how could we possibly get him minutes? Is it just trimming down minutes from each and every person? Or are we going to maybe see more of a nine-man rotation like we saw against Milwaukee? Probably going to see more of a nine-man rotation. Um, you know, the, the only thing I could see of that changing for Holiday dramatically would be if T.J. McConnell stopped making an impact. But I just don't see that being a, a you know, um, a scenario. McConnell's been just way better, I think, than anyone expected going into this season. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy averaging six points and five and a half, and five point two assists per game in just nineteen minutes. The production and energy he brings to the court. Um it kinda has that Lance Stevenson effect from a couple of years ago. It just feels like when he's in the game, good things are happening. Um and you can't really sacrifice his minutes. I, I would love to see less Jeremy Lamb. I I think um uh, the defensive side of Lamb to me irks me slightly and I think offensively you probably get a better three point shooter in Aaron Holiday. But again, you know, you, you can't sacrifice too many minutes for vets for the young guy. It just doesn't seem to happen. It's true, and nor do I want the production from TJ McConnell to slow down because I feel like he gives the whole team an energy boost. I mean, you're seeing him even when he picks up a, like a blocking foul. It's just like it's the hustle, you know. You never want to reward a blocking foul, but you see him just like throwing his body just everywhere, wherever he needs to throw it. It's inspiring. I think. It, allows everybody to kind of up their intensity a little bit. But when we're talking about the three-point volume, because it it needs to increase in order to be able to kind of play a modern-style offense, and we're hoping that Nate McMillan, with this time off, has had an opportunity to make some changes. Uh, A listener of the show, Joe Beckman, pointed out, I updated the stat, but now on the season, Pacer opponents have shot 280 more three-pointers than the Pacers. It's roughly five more per game. So you got to imagine that's at least one and a half to two more makes per game. That coupled with the lack of free throws. I mean, Corey, we're leaving points. Just we're leaving meat on the bone here. While I don't know if this team could, you know, make up for both of that, it's hard to be more aggressive and get to the three point, I mean, to get to the free throw line. And it is to also be more aggressive and shoot more threes. But what can we do to get the three-point volume up? Like, do you just see... I don't want Vic just launching a ton of threes, but, I mean, there's got to be some kind of combination. What do you think is more valuable moving forward? Getting the free-throw line or shooting more threes? 
See, that's a tough question because we're we're dead last in three point attempts and free throw attempts, exactly. right? So, which Terrible. one do you want to get? I mean, that's the tough. I mean, obviously, you know, shooting thirty six percent from three point on you know is nine ninth best in the league. But again, we're taking only twenty seven attempts. I, I don't know how to increase the volume. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that you know maybe that's more touches for Miles Turner from deep. But again, is that more pick and pop situations? Uh, are we letting TJ Warren? throw up some more threes or like you said is Victor Oladipo and Brogdon just going to start becoming more jump shot shooters um you know the the spacing at times with the Pacers has been a slight issue for the offense um you know getting looks from three just isn't for whatever reason our game I think get this team realistically should be a decent team at the free throw line you would think mm-hmm. Victor Oladipo Brogdon attacking you know the pick and rolls that we have with Demontis Sabonis should be able to create some more free throw attempts but you know, I think about that game against Charlotte um, early on in the year where we lost in overtime to them, and they was like, you know, a 20 uh, free throw differential. The Patriots just don't get calls at the end of the day uh, either, which, you know, they, we, we, get, we get the bad end of the stick on most times when it comes to fouls. They don't. Um, and you want to hear what's – I'm sorry to even cut you off, but what made it even more comical or disgusting, however you want to look at it, I believe in that game Charlotte shot 42 free throws. The Pacers had six, I believe. Right. So yeah, it was, it, ridic- was... it was a complete outlier, and it's, <laughs> and they were home too. I think we were on the road. Which, it was you know, bad. Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I have a clear answer. I think three point shooting is what you need to actually make it out of the first round. Um, but getting to the free throw line, I think, is probably a more likely solution for this Pacers team right now. It, it seems like it. It's like a pick your poison. You're not going to be able to have them both. But just uh, one last stat on top of uh, what Joe was saying was now the Pacers have. Um, Opponents have shot more threes than the Pacers in 47 out of the 55 games on the year. I mean, that's just a number that, I mean, when you're looking at this consistently, other our opponents are out shooting us from threes. They're they're getting more points. That's just how it works. So it's one of these days you got to get with it. And we saw a similar thing happen last year where the Pacers were shooting a good percentage from three, but just not enough. I don't know if we're going to see all of a sudden a switch Flipped in the second half of the year. I mean, with 27 games, I don't even know if it's really smart to kind of switch up everything you're doing, but I think that there are certain changes that I'm hoping to see McMillan address, and the three-point shooting or the free throws has got to be one of them. Yeah, I mean, just uh, one stat I have that I just remember off the top of my head, not off the top of my head, but from looking through my phone. Before the Milwaukee Bucks game at home, those last five games in which we lost, we were shooting 27% from three. You're just not going to win many games when you're shooting 41 on 148 attempts. Uh, you just got to hit those shots. You have to. And, uh, hey, as, as we move on, the, the next game uh, this week, Sunday night, the Pacers take on the Raptors. Now, Corey, we saw the Pacers blow a 19-point lead to Toronto in Toronto in a game where – I mean, you're up as you're up as many as 19, and you lose by one on a night where the Pacers made they tied a franchise record 19 threes. They shot over 54 percent from the field, and it, it all crumbles in the final three minutes. What can the Pacers do to maybe fix things this time around? Um, I mean, that game I have nightmares over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the tur- the four we had four turnovers in the final minute 12 of that game. Oh, it was um, brutal. You know, they put on the full court press, and we completely lost our way. Like a college uh, game. Yeah. Oh my god, it was terrible. 
Also, we'll stand though. Victor Oladipo got fouled in the corner. He, uh, he on did. Late three. He definitely got Kyle, fouled. Kyle Lowry had his arms on Oladipo's back as he's in the corner. He's getting mugged. They don't call anything. And I, yeah. I thought it was just a disaster. In that situation, I was also wondering why we didn't call timeout. Because, I mean, Vic yep. has that first look at the three. It doesn't go in. Somehow gets his own rebound. I mean, he's in the corner just literally getting mugged, emptying his pockets. I mean, it was horrible. We don't get a call there. It, it was rough because that Toronto win, I mean, this is when they're going for their franchise record. I think it was 13 straight wins they were going for. We yep. had the opportunity to end that. And I just think in, in the midst of Vic's return, I feel like winning that game might have – been able to end this losing streak like it the streak just lingered and it lingered and it went on and like I feel like that that loss kind of just set the team back a little bit and uh, I, I don't know they just didn't respond as well after that when I think anytime you pick up a big win over the defending champs it's got to mean something yeah no I mean and then you know the the next night or the next or you know a day day and a half later we mm-hmm. played them again and we lost that game too um, in the second half, in which we just couldn't, we just couldn't catch up. Um, you know, salute. I mean, this is a big game because we can we can still split the season series mm-hmm, exactly. um, if we win Sunday. So that's got to be the mentality of, you know, we blew, we shot ourselves in the foot one time for sure, maybe two times, depending on you know how you look at the end of the the game in Indiana against the Raptors. Um, you know, Serge Ibaka had you know a huge twenty two and ten mm-hmm. game against us. Uh, we just had no answer for him down low. Um, I think it was also one of the better Kyle Lowry performances. Um, but, you know, it's it's whether or not we can just kind of muster up and say, like, you know, we're, you're not going to rook us almost. Um, it, this exactly. is a good morale, I think. This could be on Sunday. Yeah, it, I, I think so. I think if you can beat the Knicks and then you can take care of business against Toronto, I mean, I'd say in the one-point loss, it's like if you could only play the exact same game except for the final three minutes – because in that game, as I mentioned, Pacer shot over 50% from the field. Uh, you out-rebounded Toronto. You had 29 assists. That reminds me of like Gold State Warriors basketball. Not this year. Um, and then also, you know, you were nailing threes. They shot 49% from three in that game. And I felt like that was coming off the... You made the adjustment against like the Mavs when the Mavs just let three-pointers fly left and right. Just previously, and I was thinking, well, the Pacers are never going to be able to compete with these teams if they're taking 20 less threes a game. So the Pacers responded well, except for the last three minutes. So it's pretty much just try and duplicate the performance that you had in that one-point loss, but for the first 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, hey, Corey, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show today. If you, Is there anything that you want us to shout out while we have you on? Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at KWALHOOPS, K-W-A-L Hoops. Tweet about the Pacers and the NBA. Um, and that's about it. It was a pleasure hopping on. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Hey, we'll, uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Appreciate the time, Corey. For my Fachi fact of the day, it is going to be Detlef Shrimp leads the Pacers with six career triple-doubles, followed by Vern Fleming and Lance Stevenson with five apiece. That is the beloved Lance Stevenson, I might add. However, with DeMontis Sabonis' next triple-double, he will break a tie with Mark Jackson and move into second place on the Pacers' all-time career triple-doubles list. While it took Sabonis 55 games to notch his fourth triple-double this year, 
I think the most amazing part is that he had zero triple doubles in his first 229 games and then had four triple doubles over a 12 game span this year. However, the big question in the final 27 games can DeMontis Sabonis record three triple doubles and move into first place on the Pacers' all time list? I don't know, but I feel pretty good about it. Obviously, um, Victor Oladipo is expected to take on a bigger role. The Pacers are healthier now, but I don't think it's far-fetched to think that Sabonis can record three triple-doubles in his final 27 games. A triple-double one every nine games would get him to that mark. However, it seems inevitable that Sabonis is not only going to claim this Pacers franchise record, but also blow it out of the water. And that is in conjunction with the Pacers' single-season rebounding record, which it also looks like he is on pace to blow out of the water. I know that's a lot of water getting blown out, but Sabonis is coming for the record books for the Pacers. Pretty awesome to see the year that he's having right now. And triple-doubles, while they don't mean as much as they used to, kind of a little surprising that six is the most in Pacers franchise history, especially when Lance Stevenson had five alone just in one year um, prior to moving on to Charlotte. So I do think Sabonis claims this record. Just a fun little stat on the day. You know, I'm always hitting you with a Fauci fact on Fox Fridays. But guys, I wanted to thank you for tuning in today. Pretty fun episode having Corey Waldron on. Uh, just talking Pacers basketball. This week off from Pacers basketball, it was just far too long. And while it was basically seven or eight days, it felt like two weeks. And I'm happy to bring on the Knicks because revenge is a dish best served cold. And these Pacers are taking down those Knicks. There's no way around it. Marcus Morris is out of town, and this could be a beatdown. So, once again, everybody, you could find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. My co-host Alex Golden can be found on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. We are on Instagram at PacersTalk. And we are out of time, but I need you to remember one thing. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.